0: Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to look at your word and examine what you would want us to see from this. And we just thank you, guide us, lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Acts chapter 10. <coughs> we had uh, Cornelius seeking seeking for God. He wants to find God. Chapter 10, verse, verse forty-three, uh, thirty twenty-three. <laughs> And so Cornelius is told by God to go see Peter or ask Peter to come to see him. Peter sees the vision of the animals in the sheet. And the servants come to see Peter and ask them to go see him. And this is where we're left off at verse 23. So starting at verse 24. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and his near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were, were come together. And he said unto them, You know how it is unlawful for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come into one of another nation? But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gain, saying, as soon as I was sent for, I asked therefore, of what intent have you sent for me? All right, so this is, this is Peter going into Cornelius' uh, city. Remember, he started outside of Joppa. He's gone up to Caesarea, uh, a day's journey, basically. And he gets there, and you, we hear that Cornelius was waiting for him. Now it wasn't just Cornelius; Cornelius had gathered up all of his good friends, <laughs> all of his family. <laughs> I have a feeling that his house was full. By by the sound of this, he had had God talk to him and say, "I recognize your desire." to to seek after me I've recognized your alms. I've recognized your service I recognize that you want to be one of my followers and and told him to go see Peter uh, ask for Peter so he decided if if the man of God was going to come and see him he was going to make sure there were plenty of people (laughs) to be taught and we would probably do the same thing if we had invited somebody that was a you know important person, at least, in our, even in, at least in our mind, and they were going to come, we probably would do the same thing. We're going to have a great big party. We're going to make sure everybody sees him. And he called on these Peter and as Peter was coming, it says in verse 25, Cornelius met him and fell down his, at his feet and worshipped him. This is not an unusual thing for Cornelius. Cornelius is going, okay, God told me to call him. This must be a very important man worthy of worship. From Cornelius' point of view, as a Roman uh, centurion, he is looking at Roman religion. The the Caesar considered himself God. Many people considered themselves God. If you were God's right-hand man, you you would be worshipped. So he's used to this is what you do. You bow down and worship the mouthpiece of the god and Peter is floored by this because he's a Jew. Jews don't bow down to anybody. So he has got the opposite side of this coin and he's saying stand up I am just a man. You know get get on your feet I am just a man. And so we have a very big potential here of a problem because of two different cultures now mixing. You got the Jewish person who doesn't understand this idea of worshiping others and you got the Roman who's willing to worship anything and anybody as long as he gets directed to God. And Peter stands him up and he, and he talks to him as he goes in and he said he found many that were come together. Now Peter's thought process when he was coming here because remember and his servant said Cornelius wants to see you he is fully expecting one Roman centurion (laughs) and maybe some servants you know uh, and he goes and he gets there and it's an entire house full of people I have a feeling Peter is a little flabbergasted at this point. He, wasn't, he was looking to answer questions for one man seeking God, whom God had talked to. Now he's going to preach to an entire group. He's going to basically be starting a church of non-Jews. And remember, at this point in the Christian world, everybody in the church is a Jew. It is not a, they don't know what to do with non-Jews. They have not sought non-Jews. They have not got after any non-Jews. It is a Jewish sect. It's it's called the Way. And he, when Peter goes up there, he's got, remember it said that some some other Jews went with him, probably to see what was going to happen when he went to see this uh, Roman centurion. What is Peter going to do? This is a moment of hardship for Peter because he is a Jew. And he even walks in, he goes, when he walks in, he goes, you all know that it's unlawful for me as a Jew to come into your house. And yet, because of what God had told him, he says, but God told me not to say that you are common and to go in. Peter is in a crossroads himself. He's having to make a decision on is he going to obey the vision that he got or is he going to try to live as he's always lived. This comes to, is a hard thing sometimes when God asks us to step outside of our comfort zone, outside of what we think is right and wrong and say, this is what I'm telling you. Are you going to go forward in what I'm telling you? And this is a very big deal. This is a cultural issue. This is a race issue. You know, he is a Jew and he's going to go see a Roman. Jews had dealings with Romans every day outside in the cities and stuff because the Romans were all over the place. Here he's going to a Roman's home. Voluntarily. And he he is in a struggle. He even at this point is struggling for himself. What is going on? What am I going to do? And he says, therefore I came without gainsaying or without contradiction as soon as I was sent for. And I asked, therefore, why have you sent me? (laughs) For what intent have you sent me? Why have you sent me? Okay. What is it that you want? This is an interesting place when you're sent for without knowing what it's all about. He has been told that Cornelius had a vision. And that Cornelius was called called for him. He knows that God has sent him to do things that he doesn't know understand. And now he finds himself in the house of a Roman centurion with all of his friends and all of his family. I have a feeling none of them were Jews. (laughs) So Cornelius is called his friends. His family. So this is a gathering of Romans and Peter that Peter has walked into without knowing what was going to happen. And so we see here that in verse 30, and Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and beheld a man stood before me and in bright clothing. And said, Cornelius, your, sin, your prayer is heard and your alms are in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon the Tanner by the sea side, who when he is come shall speak unto you. Immediately therefore I sent unto you and you have well done that you are come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded you of God. So we see Cornelius giving him the same recap we've heard before. I was fasting. Seeking God. There was great blessing in fasting. When, when we want to get God's attention and, and really focus on God. Fasting is a good way to draw our focus on God. And recommend it. I don't do it enough myself, but I recommend it. It's a good a good process. It says, I was fasting, and in the ninth hour around six o'clock, I was praying, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. His description of the angel is a man in bright clothing. And he said, your prayer is heard, your alms are in remembrance, in the sight of God, he said, and it gives him the same thing he's told him. Go to Joppa. You're going to find Simon there. Simon is in Simon the Tanner's house. Simon Peter, and he's in Simon Tanner's house at the seaside. All right, And remember, we covered that last week, how his servants knew exactly where they were going. Joppa was a fairly good-sized city, so if, they, if they'd had been looking all day for him, it would have been a big deal. But this was a very specific place. You're going by the seaside, and you're looking for the Tanner, whose name is Simon, and Peter, Simon Peter is at his house. And because it was a a person with a business, it would have been an easy place to find. And then he goes, and when he comes, he shall speak to you. He says, immediately I sent for you, and you have done well to come. (laughs) All right. And he goes, we are all present before God. I like that statement from, from Cornelius. We are here to hear God's word, and we want to hear whatever God has commanded you to speak. This is a man who's under authority. And this is, we saw this when Jesus talked to the centurion who said, you don't even have to come to my house because you're under authority. Cornelius is a man that's under authority. He leads people. And basically he's saying here, God sent you to us, you obeyed God, and now we're ready to hear what God has told you to tell us. This man understands authority, he understands what God is doing and he's giving praise to Peter for being obedient and he's saying we're waiting, we are ready to hear. There is no greater joy than to teach people who want to be taught because they will draw out and make sure that you give them everything that you have and seek. And these ones wanted to know everything about God. Now I can't imagine what this lesson is going to be like for Peter. These people don't know who God is in the first place. He's going to have to teach them who God is. Who Jesus is. What sin is. I mean it gives us a very short message in here that Peter gives them. But this is a going to be an interesting job because we just saw Cornelius is bowing down to Peter. He's worshiping Peter. This is the mouthpiece of God. I'm I'm going to give him all the honor that he deserves. I'm going to worship him. And that's not what happens here. So verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. The word of God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word I say you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began in Galilee. And after the baptism, which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom whom they slew and hung on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but unto the witnesses chosen before God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that which is ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead to give him all to give to him give all the prophets witness and all his name whatsoever whosoever believes in him shall receive remission of sin so here is peter's message it's kind of an interesting one as i look at this message that peter is giving i almost see a message very similar to jonah's Uh, Jonah to the Ninevites was, repent, in 40 days you're going to be destroyed. I don't want you to repent. I'm not going to tell you anything else. He's given him history here, but he's not really defining anything. Remember, these are Roman people that don't know most of what he's talking about. And I don't know how many of you have ever witnessed to somebody who doesn't know much about the monotheistic God that we follow. Romans had a pantheon of gods a whole bunch of gods and they did not have the idea of one God. They did not really have the idea of sin. Now, Cornelius has been seeking the God. He's knowing that his pantheon is not right. Paul, if you remember, later on down, this, down here, Mars Hill, goes to the people and, and they're questioning him. He goes, I perceive that you are a religious people he goes, I you have gods for everything. I want to talk to you about this one. And he's standing next to the the, the altar for the unknown God. He says, I want to tell you about the God whom you think is as unknown. This is kind of who Cornelius is looking for. He, he's trying to follow the unknown God. He's, he's saying Zeus isn't good, Mercury isn't good, uh, Athena isn't good. None of these, none of these are gods. They're not what. I need and Peters message is, is good don't get me wrong Peters message is good it's a valid message but he's talking to people who don't understand what he's talking about doesn't mean they're gonna know anything about their religion they know something they wanted God, right? he wanted God. he knew that what he was following was not satisfying is what I think he might have done some investigation into the Jewish God to know a little bit about him Uh, but think about this if you've ever done any study in other religions you know basics but you don't understand it the way they do Uh, people do not understand Christianity until they become a Christian you really don't understand Christianity even if you study Christianity you know okay well they believe in one God they believe Jesus is the son of God but what is it all about and we all have misconceptions about Christianity before we became Christians. You know, well, you know, just a bunch of righteousness, just a bunch of rules. I'm going to become a Christian and I can't do any of the bad things I'm doing. I can't do anything. I'm not going to have any fun. And then we find out it's not at all like that. Uh, but here, yes, he's probably done some study. He's looking. He's looking because he has not been fulfilled. Idols will never fulfill. All they can do is give you rules to live by. So he does know something. But Peter is not explaining much. And he's teaching to a whole room of Cornelius' friends. Now maybe Cornelius has done some research. But he's invited all these people. How much research have they done? How much do they know about what he's talking about? Uh, and it says, Peter, it says, Of the truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. So he started out with the right attitude. God does not take sides on people. Now this is something that Peter should have been able to understand anyway because what did Jesus do so often? Jesus ministered to a lot of non-Jews. He talked to the demoniac in in, uh, Matthew 8, the one who was in the tombs, living in the tombs, and healed him. Why do we know he wasn't a Jew? Because he was a Gadarene. And the Gadarene was on the wrong side of Israel. On the wrong side of the lake. It was away from Israel. He wasn't, they weren't Jewish. Um, he, he preached to the Samaritan woman in John 4. You know, technically half Jew. <laughs> uh, but as far as Peter and them were concerned, uh-uh. Not acceptable. Um, he talked to the Canaanite woman in, in five, Matthew 15 who asked for her daughter to be healed. And he called her a dog. Okay. Uh, I, I, I'm here to take care of the Jews, not, not, the, not the dogs. And she persisted, and you know, she was, had great faith. She goes, but even the dogs get crumbs. Uh, and so he accepted her. He healed the centurion's son in Matthew 8. He, he met Greeks in, in, Matt, in uh, John 21. He met with all kinds of different people and ministered and gave them the gospel message. And God, from the very beginning, said that all people were to worship him. We read the book of uh, the the Pentateuch, and where he's giving the rules for worship, and he says these rules are for all people. One rule for all people. And the Jews just kept segregating themselves further and further and further away from all, all people. And now Peter has seen the example of Jesus, but it never registered. It never dawned on him. And this is something that's very important for us. Oftentimes we hear the truth. And sometimes we have to hear the truth several times before it dawns on us that we're the one being talked to by that truth. Uh, And that it means that we're supposed to be paying attention to it. So Peter's had the example of Jesus. He's had the sheet come down from heaven and God says don't call anything common. He's got a whole room of people wanting to know know about Jesus. And he goes, God is no respecter of people. Uh, But in every nation that he, he that fears him and works up righteousness is accepted with him. This is kind of an interesting statement. God has people all over the place that have learned to trust in him. And Peter is recognizing this. Here's a bunch of Romans that want to know God. Now, they don't know all the the facts about Jesus. They just know they need something more than they've got. In Muslim countries all around this world today, there's Muslims that are very much like Cornelius. They're not happy with what they're following, and they're they're seeking God. And Jesus will appear to them in a vision and say, go find the, the followers of the book, and they will tell you how to find me. God will reach out to those who want to know him. Missionaries have told stories of going to these deep, dark nations that don't know anything about Jesus and finding a handful of people that are seeking the unknown God, that don't live the way the rest of their their nation lives because they go, something in them has said, this is not enough. Now, they don't know who Jesus is, but I really believe because they're seeking God and asking for his help, They've prayed in Jesus' name without knowing Jesus' name. Once they know the whole story, they have to go with that—the whole story. But Peter is saying, "God accepts. There are people that God accepts because they're doing the best that they know how." Cornelius said, "I'm not happy with what's—I'm not happy with these Roman gods. I'm not happy with what I'm doing. I need to know God." And then Peter starts into the, into the lesson. The word that God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, and in parentheses, for he is Lord of all. All right? So he's putting in a little, this is where he is kind of getting in here. Jesus is Lord over all. And he's basically telling Cornelius, you know, all these gods that you have, Jesus is over everything. He is over everything out there. And he says, the word I say, you know, which was published throughout Judea and, and began in Galilee after the baptism of John that John preached. So now he is going some history. So yes, I, I'm sure they're familiar with who Jesus is to a degree. You now, especially a Roman centurion in Palestine, there was this crazy nut going all over all over the area preaching, preaching and upsetting the Jews and healing people. All right now. What that means to them, we don't know. What it means to Peter uh, Cornelius, we don't know. But Cornelius is saying, okay, yes, there's Jesus. Remember, he's the one that was preaching all over Judea. Uh, and he says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and, and with power, and he went about doing good things and healing all that were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The power of God on Jesus and you know this is kind of an interesting statement the way he the way he did in the history books written about this period of time Jesus is considered a magician alright and the secular history lists him as a as a magician because of the miracles he did he healed people he cast out demons they did not call him the son of God in the history books they called him a magician he did He did tricks in front of people. People people saw all these great things. So here Peter is reminding him, okay, there's this man going around. He's he's got the power, and Peter correctly identifies it, the power of God. Now, very interestingly, he is not claiming at this point that Jesus is God. I find that interesting as I look through here. He is not even defining God to this group of people that don't understand who God is. All right? They've got a whole pantheon of gods. you know. And here Peter is telling them, Jesus did all these things through the power of God, healing those that were oppressed with the devil. This is something that is so important for us to understand. We have been delivered from the power of death the power of sin, and we deal with the lost world who is in bondage. Some of them to a greater degree than others. Some are just in bondage to sin. Some are in bondage to demons. Now, I'm not going to go so far. There's groups of Christians that say everything that goes on, everything that's got you under bondage is a demon. I'm not going to go that far, but there is more demon bondage than we know of in this world. A lot of times it is just sin, our sin keeps us in bondage, and sometimes it's demonic, but God has the power to break both. He wants to come into our lives and break the bondage to sin, break the bondage of Satan over our lives. How many of us do not live in victory because we do not believe that God can give us victory? Now, it is very interesting that so many Christians live in bondage, live in defeat, when we have the living God in us that says, I want to give you so much more. I want to give you total victory. But our unbelief so often holds us back. And it's hard. It's hard to walk by faith. Well, God, I know that you said you can do this, but... And we might not be that bold with him, but, you know, our attitude and our our actions do say just that. Ah, you know, God, uh, I know that you said you will provide all things, that we can do all things in you, but uh, that's a very big giant out there. That's a really big cost. I just don't know that I'm willing to try and some of it is legitimate. Well, if I try and I fail, God's going to look, God's going to look bad. You know what? God will never look bad. If, he, if we try something and he doesn't want it, he'll say, okay, that, you know, he'll, he'll block it. But we try something that he wants, boy, what, what blessings will come out of the deal. You know, we start out small. We gain experience. We gain how to learn it, learn how to do it. Peter is going in there and saying, "God, Jesus came and He rescued these people oppressed." And at this point, Cornelius is probably thinking, "Well, I'm oppressed. I have not. I've not. I don't know the God that that, I'm, that you're trying to tell me about." And then Peter goes on, "And we are witnesses of all things which He did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hung on a tree." So now he's reminding him of this big because right now we're just a couple months past the the Passover and, the, and Pentecost, maybe, maybe a year at the most, two years. He's reminding Cornelius of the crucifixion. They hung him on a tree. Now, I'm wondering how famous this crucifixion was in the long run. The Romans crucified people all the time. I am not sure about this description that he's giving to Cornelius. <laughs> you know, uh, they hung, you know, remember, remember that crucifixion in Jerusalem. And he's probably thinking, you know, we execute people all the time in Jerusalem. Which one are you referring to? Or was this one really famous because it had the idea of a, a resurrection associated with it? I don't know. <laughs> but the Romans usually crucify people that they want to crucify, right? Not the ones the Jews want to crucify. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, the Romans are the ones who crucified him, though. Yeah. So they asked for it. So there could be things special about this one. I'm just when I read this, though, I'm I'm trying to think as Cornelius would be looking at it. Okay, so what's the big deal? We hung somebody on the on a, on a, on a on a cross in Jerusalem. Yeah, we 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 put a we put another Jew up there. We we're putting Jews up there all the time. Uh, But there's something about this one that, you know, that Cornelius... And he does go on to say, uh, and him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Okay, that was the big key. Yeah, the Jew, you know, he was hung on a cross, but he rose again three days later. Anybody who is in that area is going to be aware of the rumors, the stories... About the man who didn't stay dead. Uh, we would do that. You know, we would do that. Somebody in the grave for three days. And got up out of the grave. We'd be hearing the rumors and the stories about it. But not only that. Just a few months before that. You had Lazarus. Who was raised from the dead. So. And one other thing. Which you may not remember. That happened when, when Jesus was rose from the dead. Was that the graves were opened and and people were raised from the dead? All right. So at this point, he's saying people were raised from the dead. Cornelius might be remembering and goes, "Yeah, I, I heard I heard those people that must have been on must have been on heroin and crack and LSD that were talking about all this resurrection stuff." You know, uh, kind of you know you because we would think the same way. You know what? you know, what drugs were those people on? What, you know, all these reports of dead people getting up and, and walking around. Uh, I don't know that one would want to be in Jerusalem at that time. Grandpa comes knocking at the door and going, I'm on my way to heaven, uh, make sure you follow Jesus. Uh, You'd probably be following, Jesus. <laughs> probably be following with Jesus real quick and Grandpa, who's been dead for a long time, is knocking at your door. Uh, so, again, all of this comes in and he's kind of reminding them of some things but probably reminding him of things that he's thinking are foolish. You know, a man dies on a cross, big deal. Oh, okay, you're talking about that one that supposedly rose from the dead. And oh yeah, there were a few other you know, crazy things going on in Jerusalem that, over that period of time. But how fast would they get forgotten? How fast do we forget news and, and rumors of things in our day and age? We're not any different than they are. Uh, well, the Jewish, Jewish leaders did. No, the Roman soldiers were bought off that were the guard of that, but that's not, that's not Cornelius' group of men. Okay. All right, that would be the Jerusalem uh, legion part. Uh, Cornelius is in charge of his 80, what was it, 86 men I said last week? Yeah, uh, 80, 80 men. He's in charge of his 80 men, so, but he's going to have heard the rumors. And, you know, this would be a big thing, the idea that, you know, a group of soldiers claimed to have slept on duty. I can tell you the rest of the Roman officers are going to be thinking, why weren't they executed? How did they get away with violating the number one rule? That did not get quietly hushed under the rug. That rumor was spreading through the Roman Roman ranks. Uh, uh, there's this group of guys who're claiming they slept and they weren't executed. This was bad for morale. You know, so he's he's aware. He's probably aware of that whole whole thing um, going on. But then in, then in verse 41 he says, "Not to all people, but unto witnesses chosen before God, even to us who did eat and drink with Him after He rose from the dead." Now. This is interesting that he says not of all people because Paul later on is going to tell us that Jesus appeared to up to 500 people. That's a pretty good number. Again, it's not all. It literally isn't all. But he's saying you're not going to be able to necessarily prove all of this, but he goes, we ate with him. We ate with him. What was the purpose of saying we ate with him? He was a real living person. He wasn't a ghost, he wasn't a spirit, he wasn't an apparition, he was a physical being that could eat. And this is very important, all of these stories about him being really alive are important. He met with them on the the seaside when they decided they were going to go back to fishing because they didn't know what was going on, and he ate with them. Yeah, he even cooked the fish. You now, and he ate with them. Now, he also had a body that could go right through the walls because he ended up in the upper room with the locked doors and just showed up. So there was something different about his spiritual body, but the spiritual body can eat. And we know that we're going to eat because when we get raptured, we're going to have the marriage supper of the lamb for seven years. That's a long feast. Huh? oh I'm sure that feast will have a lot of lot of stuff of course you might have a genetically changed taste buds too who knows but here but here we're seeing when when marriage supper I think it's going to be a wonderful supper you'll have whatever you want on that supper. and a good news good news about the spiritual body is it's not going to get fat So it's not going to get fat. It's going to properly use up every bit of the, what, what you eat. Um, so it'll be a very interesting interesting time. But he says, he's given Cornelius the message. There was this man. He was anointed of God. He was killed. He rose from the dead. We saw him come back to life. And then he goes and he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that he which was ordained by God is the judge of the quick and the dead all right this means the living the living and the dead quick is alive the word here literally is zoe it's actively alive all right now this one has a little deeper meaning to it because zoe life is the life that we have when we're saved rather than bios life, which is our actual animated bodies. So he says, God is, God is the judge of those that are his, and those that are dead in spirit as well. So this is a little bit of a play on words that he's doing. The living and the dead, both physically and spiritually. Just because people die does not get them away from being judged. Because then the ultimate judgment comes. What is the name of the ones that have the, the word before we saved? Oh Zoe is dead. Uh decros is, is is death. Yeah, well we're, we're dead anyway, so <laughs> we're we're born dead. It's kind of interesting that zombies are becoming the biggest thing around nowadays and we're born zombies by, by God's example. We're born dead. And we don't have life until we come to Christ. Now, he's saying God is the judge of the spiritually alive and spiritually dead. When a Christian dies, we will stand at the behemoth of seat of Christ. And our works will be judged for our rewards. And those rewards will be based on what we allowed God to do through us. Those are the works we get rewarded for. If we do works within our own flesh and our own strength, they burn up because they're worthless and don't count for anything, even if they do good things. If God, if you're letting God do the work, you get rewarded for no matter how big or how small it is. If you're doing things in your own strength, they could be great works people might even get really blessed by it and and they might get gold and silver out of the out of it but you're not getting blessed because it's your own strength this happens for pastors a lot of times because we're paid to teach sometimes we are just doing our job and we're not being led by the Spirit especially teachers they are expected to teach and they're going to teach whether they're ready whether God's working and because they have been trained and studied and stuff, there are times when I teach and I know it's me. And there are times when I teach and I know it's not me. And there are many times when it's a mix. <laughs> it starts out me and God takes over. And this is where we're at, is that God is the judge. Christians will stand before him and be judged at the Bema Those who have not accepted Christ will stand before him at the white throne judgment and be guilty. And there's only one question they're going to be asked at the white throne judgment. What did you do with Jesus? How many times did you reject Jesus? Because if you're standing at the white throne judgment, you've rejected him. And I really do believe they're going to be shown every time that they rejected him every time that they had the opportunity to turn to God and rejected turning to God so that when they go into hell they're going to know that they deserve what they got and they will be forever bothered by rejecting Jesus. Now now think that you cannot get, get away from it and you're in burning isolation with great pain with your conscience telling you you're here because you chose it for eternity. This is what he's talking about the quick and the dead. Those who are headed to hell and those who are headed to heaven, based upon their decisions. And then he goes on, and to him, to him give all prophets witness, and through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. So now he finally gets to the gospel. <laughs> One little sentence in this story is the Gospel. Whosoever believes is persuaded of this truth shall receive remission of sin. Release. You realize what the power of remission of sin is? We're released from the the penalty of sin completely. This is one of the reasons it's hard for me to understand why anybody can believe that you can lose your salvation. You have been released from the penalty of sin, and somehow you think you can be put back under your sin. That is such an arrogancy I can't even understand. I know some good Christian Christian men and, and, and people that really believe that you can lose your salvation and it bothers me because how much bondage must you be in to think that somehow I can do something that can lose my salvation I am so glad that I understand that God gives me eternal life that I did not earn my eternal life and therefore there is nothing I can do to keep my eternal life My eternal life comes through Jesus Christ and he is going to be the shepherd that keeps me. And he has never lost a sheep yet. Now other sheep can't say that, shepherds can't say that, but Jesus can say, I have never lost a sheep. Ever. He will not lose us for his. And this is the beauty of this message. He goes, those that are persuaded of this truth shall have remission of sin. This is what Cornelius has been waiting for. All those previous words, those are all wonderful to him. Okay, you're telling me who Jesus is. The man who's now resurrected, oh, all right, I want to believe in him. Okay, now you've told me who to believe in, and I'm persuaded that he is God. I have, you're telling me I'll have remission of sin. And then the shocker of all shocks to Peter is this next section. While Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Spirit fell on them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Spirit as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord and prayed they him to tarry certain days. He is in the middle of giving the testimony and the Holy Spirit falls on the place. And it says it fell on all of them that heard these words. Cornelius had done a good job picking the right people to come with him and setting up the stage of, we're going to hear from God. He told him his testimony. His testimony wasn't a very strong one at this point. I'd been praying and the angel came and told me and he told me to go find this man who's going to tell us how to follow God. Peter is preaching to an audience who wants to know God. I haven't had an audience that wants to know God quite this strongly uh, in my lifetime yet. But the entire house was ready to hear. Now they know this man who died on a cross and rose again to give release from the devils and to give victory... Is the one that we're going to follow. He is the judge. He is the ultimate. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the God. He is the one that's over all things. And as soon as he said, whosoever believeth in him shall have remission of sin, had an instant revival. An entire household of people believing in Jesus. Having remission of sin and having the Holy Spirit fall upon them. I believe this falling on the, on the Holy Spirit falling on them was not for their sake. It was for Peter's sake, and the, those of the circumcision that came with Peter, because they needed to see that God is no respecter of persons. They were Cornelius's friends and family. The family were definitely Romans. Most of his friends were probably Romans because Jewish people would not be friends with the centurion. So it, have, it never tells us that they're all Romans. But we know that a large portion of them are because that's his family. And most of his friends were probably Romans. Might have been a lot of members from his own, his own legion as well. His own, his own, his own uh, group. And it says fell upon them, and they of the circumcision, which believed, were astonished. <laughs> they were amazed. They marveled. Gentiles getting the blessing of God that they, up till this point in time, thought belonged to the Jews only. Yeah. And they're looking at going, wow, what is going on? <laughs> These guys have God indwelling them. And here we say we see, they, for the proof they had, they heard them speaking with tongues and magnifying God. All right. Speaking in tongues, we haven't had many talks about this, but speaking in tongues is basically speaking in some other language that the Spirit gives us utterance in. It is oftentimes one of the signs of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not the only sign. It's not a, not a must-have sign. It's not even an impressive sign for those of us who pray, pray in tongues. I am not impressed by it. It doesn't mean a whole lot to me. But you know what? There are times when I will worship, worship God in tongues, letting God speak and use. There is this process. There are other gifts of the Holy Spirit. Gifts of healing, gifts of teaching, gifts of ministry. You know when the Holy Spirit is indwelling in you, and we do need the Holy Spirit to indwell us fully. He comes in, and we can ask him, God, we want a fuller filling of your Spirit, and watch him work. These people, praying and t- speaking in tongues and magnifying God, all they, there was a change. You know, I talked about it this morning. How many times do we look at somebody who gets saved, and all you got to do is look at them, and you know they're different. You hear testimonies all the time with somebody who's got a family member who got saved, and they're going, they're different. Or they get saved, and they've had family praying for them, and they don't even have to tell them when they walk in that they're saved. They just look at them, and going, Haha, God got you. You turned over to God. And I know this feeling. I've seen it so many times when when I've prayed with somebody. And looked at the difference in their whole facial outlook. Everything about them has changed in the outward. Not their physical look but the, their spirit. The, 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 everything about them just has changed. They may not live in victory even but you know that God is in them. They, there is a glow. There really is a glow in somebody who is newly saved. You know and it's not a physical glow, but you see the change. God is indwelling them, and you see that change in them. And in, if you haven't seen it, go, go lead somebody to the Lord and get to, see that, go get to see that glow and that change. It's a beautiful thing to see. I prayed with a man, and he did not have a lot of victory after, after he got out of the hospital, but when he was laying in that hospital bed, I know that he meant his prayer. He was changed. Now he got back out in the real world with his friends and got back into his alcohol and all that other stuff that drug him back down. But you know what? I know that he had God in him. He didn't have a lot of victory. He wasn't going to church. He wasn't wasn't allowing discipleship to happen to him. But the one thing I know is once you're saved, you're saved. And the Holy Spirit came on these people. And Peter and those Jewish believers are like, what is going on? All right? What did they expect? Well, well, you've got to first become a Jew, then you, then you and then you can become a follower of the way. You know, you've got to decide, to decide to become a Jewish believer, which means you're going to have to get circumcised. You're going to have to be baptized. You're going to have to go before the priest. You're going to have to go through all these things. And the Holy Spirit came on them, showing that God had already accepted them mind-blowing event how often does God do things in our life that just blows our mind because he does things that we can't we don't even think he's will do it's wonderful and Peter's response was can any man forbid water that these should be baptized which have received the Holy Spirit as well as we have right remember we've talked about baptism baptism in our day and age has become such a weak thing. We put them in water and we will say things like it's an outward sign of an inward, inward change. And that is a true statement. But it is so much more. When, when they were saying baptize people, it still had the picture of dying, death and resurrection, but it was dying to my old way of thinking and being resurrected into a new way of living. We have weakened it out in, in our day and age. Peter's going, "Uh, normally the process was they were going to become Jews, get baptized, and then get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, We're going to baptize these guys in the name of of Jesus because they already have the Holy Spirit. God kind of blew his mind because God wasn't doing it in the way he thought it had to be done. And God is showing him, uh, Peter, Judaism is not what it's all about. Following me is what it's all about. This is true for us as Christians. When people ask, you know, well, what are you? I'm a Christian. Well, no, what kind of church you go to? I'm a Christian. You know, I will tell them, I happen to be the pastor of a Baptist church, but I am a Christian. All right? I am Christian first. If I come across a doctrine in which I'm a Baptist because I don't agree, I agree with all the Baptist doctrines, but I, you know, but if I was to come across a doctrine in the church that I did not agree, then I'm not going to agree with the doctrine because it's not biblical. I'm a Christian first, and this is important for us. What do we believe has to match up to the Word of God? One of the weakest areas of Baptist are in the dealings with the Holy Spirit. All right. They teach the right things, but they don't really believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we have no power to live a righteous life. We have no power to witness. We have no power to reach out to people. We'd be dead. We might as well be dead without the Holy Spirit. Now, it is very important that we understand all of this stuff goes on. Many people that are Baptist believe that the Holy Spirit stopped working 1,999 years ago. 2,000 years ago. When the first century ended they go, the Holy Spirit just disappeared. Doesn't do any of the stuff that we know about in Acts in the Bible. That's not the God that we believe in. at least not the God that I believe in. The Holy Spirit did all kinds of great things in the Old Testament. He did all kinds of things in the New Testament. My God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He's still the same God doing all kinds of miraculous things. Many people are afraid of this kind of power, to see the Holy Spirit actually come in and take power and do things. I know a pastor, well, he's dead now, but he did not believe in in tongues. One day he was preaching in another country, and the interpreter stopped interpreting because he was speaking perfect the perfect language of the church that he was in. He left there still not believing in tongues. I don't know how he could have preached in tongues and not believed in in tongues. But he had put his Baptist doctrine first instead of what the Bible and his experience with God had shown. We need to make sure that we keep our doctrine straight and agree with the word of God if we were to have tongues in this church if it was done properly I don't care I do pray in tongues I have for many decades now I am not impressed with that gift I would rather teach than, than speak in tongues I'd rather have you guys understand what I say yeah. than, than babble on in tongues which might be just perfect but it would be no good if you weren't, didn't understand it When I lay hands on somebody to get healed, I'm not a healer, but the Holy Spirit has healed through me on many occasions. The power of the Holy Spirit is still working. When we read the scriptures, God will give us any of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we want to ask him for. He is not a Indian giver. He is not holding back and saying, well, you know, I can only give you this much. He is ready to give us whatever we want as long as we're going to use it to serve Him. And this is the beauty of what we see. Peter and these Jewish believers are blown away. Gentiles <laughs> have been covered with the Holy Spirit and they're praising God and they're speaking in tongues and whatever else was being used at that point in time (laughs) and Peter says we might as well baptize them they've already gotten the power of the Holy Spirit let's give them the water baptism as well and then he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord and then prayed they for him to tarry certain days Peter stay we want to know more about what you have taught What we have just experienced. This is a big deal for Peter. He is now being asked. uh, He let the the soldiers. Guards. You know. Servants stay with him in Joppa. Which was a big deal. Now. He is going to stay. In a Roman centurion's house. (laughs) For certain days. It doesn't even tell us how many days. And teach them. He is going to have a wonderful time teaching because these guys want to know. You know, Who does Terry stay, stay, abide in their house. He, they they wanted him to stay there. So, he is now seeing people miraculously saved that he never thought were going to get saved. And they're begging him to stay and teach. Give us more information. I imagine that for those several days, he got up in the morning, taught them all day long, taught them late into the night, fell into his bed exhausted, and got up and started all over again. Because they wanted to know. And remember, they know nothing about the Word of God. Now we don't have the Bible, we don't have the New Testament, but they know nothing about the stories about who Jesus is. The prophecies of the Messiah. The miracles of God. Peter is going to get to start, just start from the beginning of the book and start working his way through and teaching them. How far he went? I don't know. We don't have a clue because it doesn't tell us how long he did it. Nothing is better than to teach people that are really, really hungry. And have them just draw out more and more and more I have never had this happen but my dad told the story about going overseas and the people wanted him to start teaching the group of them to start teaching at like 6 o'clock in the morning and at 1 o'clock at night they still weren't done being taught we in America are so spoiled when it comes to learning the Word of God if we go two or three hours, we feel like we've gone a long time on a, on a message. We go overseas and missionaries go overseas and they, they are blown away when they meet Christians who are hungry for the word of God. Hungry to know more about God and they want hours. They want the whole day. They're not looking for just a one-hour service. They're not looking for an eight-hour, eight-hour teaching teaching seminar. They are so hungry for the word. We in America almost all of us in the, in, as Christians have four or five Bibles and almost everybody in America has at least one Bible in their home. The rest of the world, there might be one Bible in a village. You know, They would take Bibles overseas to China and to Russia and the first thing those churches did was tear the pages apart tear them out of the bindings and everybody would get a small portion of the Bible because and then they would come back and they'd all switch pages around trying to get another part of the Bible to read because they did not have enough Bibles and we take it so much for granted in our in our in our world (laughs) many places have no Bibles at all you they're looking for pages of the Bible Scraps of the Bible. Anything that will have God's word on it. And when they get a teacher who knows God's word, they want everything that that teacher can give them. And that can get hard on the teacher. <laughs> you know, and every teacher kind of wishes they would have that long study that nobody wanted to end. But when, you go, when you're starting it early in the morning and you're still going late at night, it's almost like, okay, who's next, who's next up on, the, on it? I'd like to experience it at least once. (laughs) I really would love to experience it at least once in my lifetime to see that kind of draw. So we're going to end. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your care and your love that you did show the disciples that you were going to minister to Gentiles so that it would move beyond the Jewish population. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that fills us. And we ask you to go with us and keep us about your business. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sinning and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.